0: You want to die with dignity is what you're saying.
1: I'm not dying with any dignity. I'm winning, baby. <laughs> totally winning. The body count behind me between the NFL, the NHL, the NCAA, you know, the Justice Department, everything. Like, don't bet against me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: The Business of Betting podcast is presented by Optimo the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Since 2012, Optimove has served iGaming operators from startups to industry leaders. Today, four out of the top five U.S. operators personalize player experiences with Optimove. iGaming operators know their growth journey begins and continues with Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Visit Optimove at ICE and mention you listened to this episode to receive an Amazon gift card.
0: Welcome everybody for a special episode 200. Can't believe it's been 200 episodes. It's mainly credit to Jake, but we're keeping the tradition going and lots of great gambling content here for all your podcast needs. Today, I'm joined by Joe Brennan. He's the executive chairman of Prime Sports, and he is very opinionated and has probably one of the best voices that I've come across in sports betting. I really want to highlight how great this voice is and we could be talking about stacking pieces of paper and I think it would be interesting to listen to
1: all right you just did what you're supposed to in the book you totally disarmed me you've appealed to my intellectual vanity (laughs) you know that that my dream that someday I could be the next James Earl Jones the voice of Darth Vader I mean you're you're hitting all the erogenous zones here right now Jason I gotta tie it
0: well I, I I think I'm calling it as I see it and speaking of Darth Vader I just watched that with my son and Man, in 2024, it's still such a great movie. They've aged so well. My eight-year-old,
1: which goes, this is a spread, like, so we just celebrated my oldest, she's 22, and my youngest is eight. Both of them still love Star Wars, so it's great. There's comedy in our household. But yeah, my, my eight-year-old came in and woke me up on Saturday morning, and she pointed a lightsaber at me. and She's like, do you know what this is? And I'm like, yes, I know what that is. But please don't point the business end of a lightsaber at daddy when he's just waking up.
0: Has she gone to the dark side or she still, is there still a, she has not. No,
1: no. Thankfully she's straight Jedi. She's a big fan of the Ahsoka series. You know, she's already talking about being Ahsoka for next Halloween. My wife, who's usually tasked with coming up with that level of activity because God knows it's not me is already trying to figure out like how she drapes our daughter with like orange tentacles. So
0: yeah, it's all good stuff. So Prime Sports, it kind of makes me think of either like a steak restaurant or Deion Sanders kind of sports betting.
1: It's funny that you say that because when we first had opened up the live environment, production environment, the first question that our member services got on chat was, do you guys serve filet mignon? And I want to get t-shirts made for them. That's like Prime Sports and in the back, do you guys serve filet mignon? It's perfect.
0: The best steak with a side of sports bet. Yeah. And as far as like
1: Amazon, I mean, I've talked like you've probably talked to the AWS guys because they're considering getting into gaming. You know, how do they package up their hosting, their geo, which you already have and other things. And when I met with Jake Mills, who's that or Jason Mills, who's the head of their practice, he kept asking like, so what's your uh, consumer brand going to be? Oh, I don't quite know yet. But now I'd be thrilled to death if they sued us. And that they covered it on the front page of Jeffrey Bezos' newspaper, Washington Post. Uh, that would be worth just millions to us now, wouldn't it? Fantastic.
0: So I listened to your podcast that you did with Jesse about the background. So we don't need to repeat that. If, if you, those of you that don't know the background of Google me, Google Joe and the podcast on betting startups was, was a pretty good basis. But why don't you just sort of like to kick us off here, like on a high level, what do you think is missing? I think you talked about there's a McDonald's and Burger King in the industry, but not to riff on the restaurant theme too much, but what what do you think is missing in the uh, culinary offering of sports betting?
1: Let's not riff on the restaurants, but what's missing in the culinary offering?
0: (laughs) (laughs) What restaurant do you want Prime Sports to be? Capital Grill, I guess. is probably the best way of putting it, you know? So overpriced steak. Dude,
1: what? $75 for a tomahawk ribeye? (laughs) It's it's a bargain. Now, I guess if we're going to stay with the hamburger metaphor and we're going to beat up on FanDuel and DraftKings and call them the Burger King and McDonald's of sports betting, we would probably say, you know, identify more with five guys. You know, better service, better premium. We're not trying to have the deepest menu possible. Because most of the menus bullshit. You, you probably know this from your own offering. Like in your core market in the UK, it's all like, oh, well, we've got 5,000 markets. We've got 3,000 markets. We've got 25,000. Yeah, well, every time you count like a single line item in your derivative market for alternative goal scorers and things like that, and that's a single market, like, come on, how much action are you taking on that? You know, it's, it's very long tail. It's still better than 80% of the handle in america comes in on sides totals spreads right so we've mastered that we're going deeper than that have gone deeper but we we offer markets that people play not just for window dressing and we offer markets that we know from experience garner enough handle to justify the risk because we got into this business not to become a sports entertainment thing or an engagement play or to to get a million registrations and downloads like well, we got into this business to make money like bookies. So question of liquidity for us, like not how many people downloaded us, but how many dollars. It sounds so contrarian nowadays, doesn't it? So old fashioned. But I guess we're kind of back to the future. And at 55, I mean, probably the biggest thing about going too much in the background is we quoted when we were working on the lobbying for this in like New Jersey and, and elsewhere uh, over that 10 years. We quoted a potential American sports betting market that was based on that offshore street market and what those numbers were. It's the same estimates that you saw like in the 1997 gambling impact study that was done during the Clinton administration. Now we're getting really wonky. And to when the market opens up there in 2018 and to completely bypass that type of model that built those numbers, that Everybody was quoted on. So you bypass this American model of sports betting in favor of this more UK, uh, EU style. There's a lot, for me at least, there's a lot of cognitive dissonance in that. Especially because it wasn't like they invented sports betting May 2018 and brought it to America. Prometheus did not bring us fire. We already had plenty of sports betting, as you're probably aware. I mean, you went to Northwestern, right? I known a couple of college bookies up there and and you go. Big Ten's smartest school, baby. It's probably be in the Ivy
0: League. Don't say that to the Michigan guys. They get kind of twitchy about that. Well, my my niece
1: is a varsity soccer player at the University of Michigan. It's, it's caused a lot of disruption in our family, but that's because we are Notre Dame fans through and through.
0: Anyway, I diverge. It's cool she went to the second best Big Ten school. Well, then I have a niece who's at
1: Wisconsin, but, you know, the best all-around school. Anyway. What's missing is that piece that this market was quoted on that was already here and that it actually still exists. Like, so you've had this massive explosion in this brand new recreational sports betting marketplace, but it has largely been based on new players because you still have a really huge chunk of those players that were playing offshore or playing on the street, PP, you know, like PPH guys, you know, your corner bookie. That's where they're still playing, and it's for a, a number of reasons. But that's where they're at, and so the opportunity that we're looking for is, we're not looking to go and clip off the lower hanging fruit from FanDuel mm-hmm. and DraftKings and MGM and Caesars. It's we're looking to be that regulated market alternative to Bet Online and Bovada and you know shops like that. My uh, partner Adam Bjorn incredibly experienced bookmaker, his estimation for every dollar that's bet in the regulated U.S. marketplace, you still have another dollar, even two, that's being bet in unregulated forums. And that's where there's a lot of opportunity for us.
0: Right. So going back to the five guys metaphor, because I think it's quite interesting, uh, you know, five guys menu is quite simple. You know, you can pick the ingredients, but there's not that many sandwiches and you can kind of see it on two boards. So you were kind of saying back to that classic bookmaking, have a really strong core. You think that is sort of the recipe that is missing in this space where everything is frilly and silly?
1: I do because there's no prioritization. It amazes me the number of times that I go to the homepage for Fandor, DraftKings or another one of the shops, and you see their in-running menu and it's focused on that real heater matchup in the Macedonian under 19 football league between two teams with many consonants and no vowels in their names. It's not that I'm I'm saying like, hey, we're Americans, we should live in a bubble and not take an interest in Central Europe. It's that they're currently not a whole lot of interest, but there is an awful lot of interest in what are the markets tonight for NBA or college basketball, things like that. And Really establish your ground game through having a really good understanding and serve it, like serve, serve them the American sports that they like, serve them the markets that they really, really like and be very, very good at it. Instead of saying like, well, we've got a blizzard of everything and, you know, and it's up to you to decide. I have listened to a couple of your podcasts now. Cause I always think you should respect somebody and do some research and everything. And I find out that you are a fan of Costco. I was resisting Costco for years because I thought it was insulting that I'd have to pay money to spend money. But then I had a dollar and fifty hot dog and Coke, and I was—it was like a Road to Damascus moment. There was no getting me back on that horse.
0: It's—it's it's an event. I have—I have three young kids, and I, it's our Saturday. You know, we're all excited to go to Costco. I'm excited to see what they have new and fresh, and that's exciting. But when you go into Costco, there is like light organization. You know
1: the TVs are going to be there right when you come. And it's amazing that I ever get in and out of there without buying yet another $1,000 jumbotron for our our house. The number one regulator on that is my wife. I want to do things with the walls and it's not jumbotrons. But there's no focus to Costco. It really is like, do as thou wilt, right? And that's, I think, problematic. Because even when you're an experienced Costco shopper, like you and I are,
0: there's a lack of focus. I'm going to push back on you here, Joe. I I want to give credit to, I think it was a Wall Street Journal video that was sort of deconstructing the magic of Costco. And basically what they said was there's no aisle labels, you know, to your point, the TVs are always in the front, but they do that on purpose so that you get this really sort of circuitous discovery mode. And then they also have a bunch of surprise and delight stuff. Now, to your point, they will be missing. Like I'm I live in the UK, so I'm looking for Skippy peanut butter, which is hard to find in this country. And sometimes they haven't, sometimes they don't. So I'm really disappointed. We can do a care package if you like. I mean, I'll, I'm in favor of Eric. Please send me some Skippy. So I get quite disappointed. And my wife is French, so we also pay attention to things like good cheese and good meat and stuff that...
1: How did that happen? An American marries a French woman. I understand that appeal. But you you settle on England? Wow. <laughs>
0: Well, if you listen to enough podcasts, you'll... She
1: must be a saint. She really must be a saint.
0: <laughs> she quite likes the UK because it's a nice mix between Anglo-Saxon culture and, and European sensibility. So it's kind of a, a magic middle ground. I'm I'm actually the, the one that doesn't like living in the UK because the weather is absolutely dog shit here. Like, it's, it's awful.
1: Yeah, but aren't you from... Like, I was trying to, like, discern, like, where you were from. Aren't you, like, from Connecticut or something like that?
0: I grew up in... I grew up East Coast, yeah, but then went to... Northwestern and lived in L.A. as well. So I've, I've been all over. So,
1: yeah, that typical, like, I remember when I was graduating from high school and you ask guys like, hey, what are you going to do? I'm like, I'm going to California. I'm like, that's not a degree program. <laughs> that's a lifestyle, but I, I totally get it.
0: <laughs> to my credit, I went to California when I was 38. So I, I had my shit together before I did my California face. 38, you don't even look like you're 24.
1: On your notion about Costco and the, the discovery, like, that's great for Costco. Okay, it's a good draw for Costco. It's not necessarily the best experience for the customer because you're looking for Skippy peanut butter, right?
0: Yeah, I think the argument to defend my fellow European bookmakers who who you want to malign a little bit, I think the issue is everybody has their – the idea of having many, many markets is everybody has their Skippy peanut butter of sports betting. Like I want to bet on corners, blah, blah, blah. And if you don't have that, I'm going to go to the place that has it. It's a little bit like the Amazon long tail strategy of trying to have every book in their catalog so that when you buy Harry Potter, you want to buy it with Amazon and not Barnes and Noble or somebody else. So I think it's not just sort of a throw everything up against the wall and see what sticks. I think there is some logic behind the long tail strategy. Yeah,
1: what I would say is they've not curated well.
0: That's
1: okay to say. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I totally agree with that. You know, we we want to have this offering so that so the people, I mean, we do. I mean, well, people have probably heard me since launch. They probably think I have some dastardly card up leave on this one. But I constantly talk about how, like, I don't know why there aren't more cricket betters in the United States. And, you know, I'm constantly going on. Like, if you went today, I don't think we have any cricket markets up today. I don't know if we do or we don't.
0: It's kind of a weird sport. It is a
1: weird sport. I mean, I, you know, I'm an American. I grew up in Philadelphia. And it's like, as far as I, you know, prior to this. My cricket to me was a bunch of guys in sweater vests, drinking gin and tonics, swinging canoe paddles at one another. They play for five days and it ends in a tie. Why? T20s, limited over leagues, the Indian Premier League. I mean, all I love about the Indian Premier League, it seems like it's you know, like all the worst stuff that you can take from American sports at WWE and you pack it into this traditional game with this incredibly crazy audience. And on the more serious side is like, look, you run into so many people here in america like when we go to like you know bet bash and things like that and you talk to players and they're like well i'm a quant i'm a quant you know it's kind of like saying i'm vegan or i graduated from harvard You know, it's something that they want to get up front like that's how i think about the world that's my my organizing principle i'm a quant like well if you're a quant you should be betting cricket why because there are so many data sets that are available out there for cricket and if you can model for baseball you can model for cricket where you should be. And there's so much global liquidity in cricket. It's the second most watched sport on the planet after soccer or what people over on your neck of woods insist on calling football. I still say soccer. Uh, good for you. Rage against the dying of the light, my friend. Anyway, so we want to do things to kind of encourage that. Not because we're necessarily such big fans of cricket, but it's more of the, we're trying to appeal to guys who are either already, we'll say pro, pro ish or aspiring and it's we think that because of the limits that we're willing to take on sports like that that the juice is worth the squeeze if they put in a little bit of extra time and that their seasons don't just end in october when the world series well october the beginning of november when the world series is over you know that there's other events that they can be taken advantage of you know leveraging their their models their skills and other things which we think is good for encouraging the growth of our overall, the audience in our business, but there's some curation that's going to have to be involved. There's going to be some leading that's going to have to be involved. It's not just like, well, you threw it all on the page. Like I used to look at William front page or lab front page in the UK and you'd be like, I don't know where the fuck to go. To me, that was like being in the most cognitively dissonant Costco or Walmart that I've ever been in. It's like, they've got everything and I have no idea where to go to find it. Right. I think that's kind of, we know what American audiences in general, where the high volume goes, both from a sport and from a market perspective. And so that's what we're focused on now. And what we're going to do is there's a plan. Oh, it's all part of the plan to kind of grow this thing. You don't have to do everything at once. You can grow, especially because we're not taking public dollars yet. And I don't have any, any VC shops standing on my shoulder saying, like, well, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you doing that? Like, we can take our time and walk rather than run to our death and do things in a kind of sensible, thoughtful way, grow out the business.
0: You want to die with dignity is what you're saying.
1: I'm not dying with any dignity. I'm winning, baby. <laughs> totally winning. The body count behind me, between the NFL, the NHL, the NCAA, you know, the Justice Department, everything, like, don't bet against me. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I got a black book. So I heard on the other podcast, you were talking about these European operators who are coming into the United States. Before we get to that point, I want to say that Americans are so, that Americans have, I, and I say this as an American, but like... I was about to remind you of that. We are so blinkered, like all these, but to your point about like, why don't these American betters bet cricket? Like, A hundred percent. And I had so many conversations with pro-American bettors uh, pre-2018. So like it's kind of a moot now. But I was like, why don't you move to London and bet on all the, you know, like because the world is open to you to bet from London. And it just sort of like never occurs to Americans that there's a world outside of New York and California sometimes.
1: Hang on. That sounds like the typical American expatriate. Like you're already like you're saying you're an American. (laughs) But you're also like when I used to travel, I used to say like when I would go to London, or I go to Paris, or Copenhagen, or some place like that, or Barcelona, or whatever. And I would joke, I say like, yeah, whenever I travel, I find it very easy to talk to people because they always want to talk about the world's two favorite sports, the first being soccer, which they insist on calling foot, and the second being what's wrong with America. We'll never find anybody over there or anywhere that does not have an opinion about what's wrong with America, and that's fine. It's been really difficult to get interest in other sports simply because of, really, it's the broadcast nature. We don't just broadcast football games. We, like, now it's become, like, every weekend is Super Bowl weekend, right? Like, I don't know how old you are. I am older than the Hills. 43. Okay, so I'm 55, so I've got a little time on you. But I remember when, you know, the Super Bowl broadcast, the pregame, was an hour before the game. And that seemed like a really long time. And then you'd have a post-game of like an hour and then in the game in between. And that was it. Now, just a, a garden variety NFL Sunday is four or five hours of pregame, four or five hours of postgame. It's it's everything. It's it just blots out the sun. I think that's one of the difficulties for other sports to kind of get awareness is the nature of that. Now, there has been the opportunities, like Adam likes to talk about this, you know, within the last year or the last couple of years, you've had professional rugby league start in the US. You've had professional cricket league, which has massive backing from, you know, a lot of technology CEOs just started last year. So there are some opportunities and God knows there's so many channels available, so many outlets. You can watch it if you want to, but now you got to kind of go find it. But the stuff that's being broadcast, that's being pushed, is still the traditional stuff. It's still football. It's still NBA. You know, in a month from now, it's going to be my favorite carnival of lights, which is the men's NCAA basketball tournament, which I think is the best sporting event on the planet. And so getting people, there's already a small segment that is aware that there is a world beyond those shining lights, but getting critical mass of casual bettors what are casual audiences looking beyond there that's tough it's it's kind of like the winter and summer olympics events. it's not like they have figure skating once every four years or downhill skiing once every four years or the 100 meter dash once every four years it's just that it's only once every four years it's a big media event right then we've got to kind of get past that
0: to your point about the nfl um you know, I know it's hitting records now in terms of viewership, and, you know, it's just crushing it in terms of TV sponsorships and people paying attention. Especially with Taylor Swift involved now. Oh, my goodness. Taylor Swift. But what I don't understand is, who has time for this? And I don't believe that the young kids today are going to watch NFL in 20 years. So I'm kind of I'm kind of curious if we're at peak NFL, because it's just too long. Nobody has time for that.
1: Yeah, I... I think you're right about that. You already see fragmentation where I think it's not just whether you have the game on, but whether you're paying attention, right? And it's very difficult to keep people's attention on something. This is why there are many challenges that are facing something like micro betting. I mean, it, oh God, it's amazing. First of all, talk about old wine in a new bottle. We've had spot betting for 30 more years than that, but now we call it micro betting. It's a brand new thing. But anyway. Shout out to Simple Bet, right? <laughs> how you doing this morning there, Joey Levy? But when you talk about like, oh, we're going to have markets on every pitch, you know, let's set aside a moment, obvious technical challenges that you have there from like the latency of the data and how long you can hold a market open in order to take on liquidity to make it worth the risk, right? People don't watch like that anymore. They have it on, but they're also doing things in the background. Like I have the games on, but even I'm sitting there, I'm on the phone, I'm looking at the numbers, I'm looking at Twitter, I'm getting yelled at by my wife. You're like Life is going on and it's becoming more and more background. Why? Because it is so easy to go in and out of these things. They make it easy for us. The broadcasts make it easy by, if there's a a, a serious play, they replay it three times. You know, the scoring stuff, like all the leagues and all the media outlets, they chop that stuff up so quick that you can just watch on Twitter. And you'll get updates and you'll see videos. You'll see a touchdown a minute after it happened, if that's the way that you want to consume media. So I do agree with you that it's going to be harder to keep young people interested in kind of the traditional models going forward. But there is time for evolution if you're thinking about it. I I mean, and we're thinking about it. We don't want to just sit around and be like, oh, we're the smart old man. (laughs) These young kids, they don't know what the hell they're doing. Not at all. But we also don't think that the answers are in market yet. There's still plenty of opportunity for
0: innovation and for things to change. So my big thing is price. Do you think I'm crazy about that or do you, are you big on price? No, no. We're,
1: I mean, we're reduced juice shop. You know, our openers, we, you, know, you have to lay 108 instead of 110. That's perpetual for us. That's not just as special. Once we move to that, our volume has really taken off. And it's not necessarily the NFL volume because you know, the NFL is now starting to slow down and college football, that went off a cliff right in December. And it's the middle of the week stuff. So it's NBA, college basketball, NHL. Having the reduced juice on that has really helped us. This month, uh, our January results are going to be really significant and moving us up the the rankings here in Ohio. And it's right at a time where we're getting ready to launch in New Jersey and get exposure to that market. I share your thought, cause I've seen this in a couple of your things about holding over 10% or holding over, like we don't want to target it, but we only want a percent. But I do think once you get like to four and maybe five, you're now hitting red line in the amount you can hold back from your players. When you look at these margins, that are being stoked upward by SGPs that, you know, they're looking at like 10, 15, 20% margins that they want to hold. That's like, that's too much money. That's way too much money to be taken out and to keep the players interested. Perfect example is how you look at losing. Like yesterday, we got annihilated on NFL championship Sunday. We really took a beating. F you, Detroit. <laughs> right? But when we came in, we found out like, yeah, but some of the guys who were behind to us the most, who had been losing the most, they're the guys who made out. They, did. I'm like, that's great. Then, you know, whatever we lost to them is great retention marketing. It's great CRM. Because even the people who are like high limit losers and, and all, you got to keep them happy. And if they just feel like I can't beat this game, all I'm doing is I'm just stroking checks to DraftKings, FanDuel, or something like that. That I don't care what anybody says. That has a limited shelf life.
0: So, in in your world where, I mean, everybody's one, minus one 110 and you're saying minus 108, if I said minus 102, 103, do you think I'm crazy? Because to me, that when I say low, are you, I don't think you could do that
1: in the US just based on the costs, which you now have exposure to being in Indiana and, and Colorado. Just the costs that are associated with taking payments and You know, the KYC verification and geo and everything that's related. Well, you don't have any geo costs. Matter of fact, somebody on Twitter yesterday said, I should talk to you about geo. And I said like, well, you know, I'm going to be on this show tomorrow. Maybe you can make me an offer I can't receive. Funny, we talked about doing our own geo as well, but it was more of, well, what do you want to focus on right now when you're trying to launch, right? You have finite dev resources. We could do our, like you guys, we do our own geo is that what we want to focus our resources on right now? No. will we go back and potentially backfill it? Yeah, maybe.
0: <laughs> right. But it's one of those things though, once you kind of get stuck, you never go back and revisit it. So that's that's why the companies like GeoComplies make so much money.
1: And you know what, if you're if all you're thinking about is like acquisitions and everything like that and and how do we drive drive more revenue if you're that organization? Yeah, but one thing that we are trying to do is we are trying to create space for the minority report here, because you can always do things better, and a dollar that i don't spend is is just as good as a dollar earned uh, we spend a lot on geo we spend a lot on payment processing costs, things like that that's why coming back to the point that you were trying to make, there is a threshold like I heard you when you were talking with Paris about pinnacle. i don't think that economically is feasible, but we can go, i think, for us if we want to. Whether for situationally for a certain player, or if we want to have a special, we could probably go as low as 105 and still be able to be profitable. But beyond that, it's really not it, in the traditional bookmaking sense. I don't think it's really doable. Now, for an exchange like what you guys are doing and what, you know, like sport trade and profit, and you wonder why, why isn't Betfair out there? But they are. What they do as far as the exchange commission rate yeah, you guys could probably go down to like 2%, maybe even lower on the volume and and still be viable for you. Okay. But then it's, then you start getting into all those questions like, all right, well, who's going to bring you your liquidity? Right. And it's really, they're two different businesses, being in the exchange business and being a bookie, two different businesses. I do them both. Congratulations, man. Thank you.
0: So, I mean, I sort of hear what you're saying about the marginal costs of, as you get closer to a hundred, it gets, gets harder and harder. And you're, you're sort of saying your red line is 104, 105. And there is definitely a red line in there because at least you have 25 basis points for, for the federal excise tax that kicks in at some point and or every point, really. But I think that, I mean, my hypothesis, I mean, I hope we're the company that does it, but my hypothesis is that somebody's going to come along. Who knows if it's Google, Amazon's markets, whoever, but that will come up with a low margin model and all these sort of traditional sports books are just going to you know, they won't be able to compete because they are paying X million to geo-comply and 5% for payment processing and da 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 I was talking to one bookmaker and he was talking to me about all the fees that he had to pay and it's just, it adds up. So it's what I think is interesting is there's room for a tech company to either, I guess, do it at cost or near at cost and underprice everybody and really wipe the legs out of the industry. And that that's basically our business plan. And when you hear that, do you think, Like, holy shit, like, that's interesting. But yeah, so what do you think? You think it's not possible or, or good? you know? Oh, of course I think it's possible. I mean, you've had Wave 1.0,
1: right? Wave 1.0 was mainly a just get live phase, right? Are the companies that are currently the market leaders, the ones who are doing it best, or were they the ones who were able to just get to critical mass fast? Having a long- long history. I've worked for some now extinct tech dinosaurs. And the one that I think about is AOL. And when I think of FanDuel, and I think of DraftKings. The sole reason why they are where they are today is the database that they had of deposited DFS players. That's it. And in my mind, that is like the uh, CDs that AOL Used to tack on to everything, you know. It'd be on magazines, on hamburgers at at the drive-through at McDonald's, you know, all, all over. It, you couldn't go anywhere without finding one of those damn CDs. And that was it. Just made it like that in order to get people on the internet, like back when that used to be actually a thing. But obviously, AOL's it's being leveled right now. The building that I worked in, and it's being turned into a data center because everything in Ashburn, Virginia, is being turned into a data center now. That's because eventually the market rationalized. In AOL's case, it was, we got everybody on, but once they got here, they suddenly realized they wanted to have more control over their experience. So we found at one point in doing consumer research that 75% of the people who logged on to AOL, and AOL had that desktop wall, garden, had browsers, it had everything you needed, right? Well, they would just reduce that after they logged on and they would open up like internet explorer or netscape or firefox or something and the research you ask people like why did you do that and they say like well that's the real internet like you can't fight that they weren't saying that it was a better product or anything like that it was this perception like well because the other thing's real and that is something that if you're fanduel or DraftKings or anybody out there we know we want to shove down the throats of players right now right now it's sgps to me, they're making themselves into lottery companies, which is fine. Say you're a sports lottery. But eventually, consumer sentiment, it's going to trend somewhere. And all the assumptions that people make about consumers right now, betters right now, that convenience is more important than price or, or that they're loyal to one brand or one app or something like that. I, I guarantee you, just based on past history, that stuff is going to get wiped away. And so I don't know who it is. Is it us? God, I hope so. <laughs> but is it our current offering that, you know, becomes the all-dominating Attila the Hun horde that takes over the entire industry? Not at present moment, but there will be something, whether it's a technological change, product change, whatever it may be, that is just going to wipe away these early leaders in a way that you were... Yeah, you'll be talking about in the same way people talk about MySpace and Friendster or AOL. I remember those. You'll be laughing.
0: I couldn't agree more. Like, I, I, I don't see FanDuel and DraftKings saying one and two for, you know, in the next 10 years. Like, I I think in 10 years from now, we'll look at a mu- very much different industry and landscape. So as somebody that, you know, is not short of opinions, is there anything, that, since you're talking to another fellow operator here, that you think that we should have done differently or or taken a different strategy?
1: I don't know why you went to Colorado and Indiana. I don't think it was a cultural fit or a market fit for your company. I would have gone straight to New Jersey.
0: We did. We did go straight to New Jersey, and we spent a long time with Mr. Dennis, and we almost came up with a deal to do New Jersey, and for one reason or another, it fell apart. I think we just sort of got deal malaise, and we just ended up not doing it. Are you talking about Dennis Drazen? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We almost did a deal. I went out and visited him at the race course, and he's a very nice man. And it just it didn't materialize. And Colorado and Indiana just sort of, it was opportunistic, really. It wasn't some big strategy.
1: Yeah, I mean, sometimes reality sets in. So, yeah.
0: In hindsight, I probably wish I did New Jersey just to sort of have be in the arena more. But I think we're, we're losing in Colorado and Indiana, so I don't think we need to be in New Jersey to know what we need to improve. Like, going from A to B. I don't think it's that. I mean,
1: it's like your core product is being an exchange. That's what sets you apart from all the other. I mean, you may have fixed out sports betting, but so does everybody else. Your differentiator is that you're committed to the exchange model, right? So
0: we're also a major participant. Yeah, but you're not a bookmaker in the exchange.
1: You know, you are a facilitator charging a facilitation charge. In that way, you're more like a poker tape, but that's fine, but in that regard, you have more similar to a poker operator right than you do have with a traditional bookmaker, right, so that's fine, but I mean, there was only one state that was going to be a potential you know good host to you, a good audience for you and then and with being so close, yeah, you know, between New York City and Philadelphia, and then also its proximity to boston and d c and Baltimore, yeah, you, know, you just had a good region that you could draw from Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I mean, don't underestimate Cherry Hill, New Jersey. I'll tell you a story about a guy from Cherry Hill that'll blow your socks off and you're gonna be like, fuck, why didn't I get that player? But anyway, we're having this debate about acquisitions right now and things like that. You know, we we have a very, obviously we're very opinionated. I'm not the only one. I'm actually not as opinionated as Adam. It's what customers really want, right? And what customers can we really acquire and then also defend? Because that's just as important, like you can get somebody, but are they going to stay with you? Why would they stay? With you? Is it like a product? Is it an offers? What, what is it? So we're, we're having this debate, but you certainly don't want to go someplace that has a very low percentage of what you would consider your ideal customers and no offense to Indiana, where I have a couple of nieces and nephews who are at Notre Dame and, and no offense to Colorado where my sister has lived for 20 years, but she wouldn't bet. Uh, he, I was joking with Alex Kane from Sport Trade when he told me during the summer that they were going to go open up in Colorado. I said, like, why the hell are you doing that? You don't want to be taking bets on sports at a place that when the weather gets cold and crappy, people go outside. That's why they live there, you know? Like, you want know people who are sitting inside, cowering away from those snowstorms saying, like, damn, I got to hit those in-game bets on, uh, you know, NFL, college basketball, whatever. Look, hindsight's 20 but an exchange right now only kind of makes sense in New Jersey because they will let you run your model. So somebody tell the Novig guys this too. I mean, they did go to Harvard. They should understand that.
0: Hopefully they're listening to the podcast and they'll move states. I'm sure that everybody listens to your podcast. Don't they? That's, what I, that's how I was sold on it, right? We decided to not abandon the exchange. That's the wrong posturing. But basically, I'm trying to think. Mothball not mothball, I'm trying to think of a restaurant metaphor. But if you think about finance, whether you're trading with Charles Schwab or directly at the exchange, but, you know, everything gets routed to the exchange. And we looked at the UK market is 90% sportsbook, 10% exchange. So we said, let's take exchange prices and put it in a sportsbook product. And and that's why we kind of left, led with the sportsbook foot in the United States rather than the exchange. So I still think there's merit in that, but I think at some point you're kind of going to get you know, Robin Hoody sports book features that start to converge into to one platform.
1: Yeah, you may be right. But the one thing to keep in mind about those, like, wealth of people who made it onto the Robin Hood platform, particularly during COVID shut-in time, the ones who really got into it, what did they do? They then migrated away from Robin Hood because they're like, kind of similar to what I was saying about the people who were minimizing their AOL window and opening up a Internet Explorer browser it's like the Robin Hood people who became like successful and, and more adept they wanted to go in search of what the real thing and the real thing was what it wasn't Robin Hood i think Robin Hood was cool Actually, i had set up an account for my son that i totally forgot about cuz i had put it in my name and then when i was doing my one of my state licensing applications i didn't list it cuz i totally forgot about it. like what's this Robin Hood account here you mean the Robin Hood account with a $1,000 in it that had some really bad picks in it? Yeah, that's my son. <laughs> that's him.
0: Very cool. Well, I really enjoyed the chat today, Joe, and good luck with Prime. Thank you very much. Good luck with SBK. Do you say Prime Sports or Prime or PS?
1: I, you know what? I'm kind of like letting the public decide, like, Prime Sports is our brand, but we sure seem to be very quickly migrating to Prime, just like how... Circus sports just quickly became circ. The sooner you become one word, the better. Madonna, right? Prince,
0: right? There you go. What do you want to be when you grow up? That's a question I like to ask all men.
1: I was waiting for this question. I was waiting for this question.
0: And let's hear the answer. I am grown up. Hey, sh-
1: I'm 55. <laughs> I'm grown up.
0: It's never too late. It's never
1: too late. Now I'll tell you what. The only way I can really answer that one. Is to say, I just really want to leave everything on the field. I don't want to leave this thinking there was something else I could have done. There's something else I could have given to this effort. Because this has been a long effort for me. If I look at when I really started seriously looking at doing this and taking steps, that was like 2002. Uh, It was 2008 when I jumped into New Jersey and started lobbying and we started passing the law there and the federal court fight started. So this has been a really long, slow burn, but it was necessary. Even now, it's so exciting to me every day. We got our brains beaten in last night. You were in the securities industry before this too. There's just something about taking like a multi-stick loss one day on your book and you come back the next day and you just, the fact that you walk through the door and you're not cowed and you're like, all right, let's go. Let's fire them up. I'm telling everybody out there on the floor in the bullpen. I'm like, you should brag to your friends. We took this huge loss and our doors are still open. Like, oh, oh my God, that's terrible. Like, what are you talking about? We're still, we're still in business. And the best part is we, we're still more or less in soft launch here. We haven't done any marketing. So the only guys that we have betting with us, like 90% of the people who are betting with us are the assassins, the syndicates, all the smarties that we're making 2% hold against them. Man, let's start a parade. Let's have a parade down, you know, Route 70 here in Cherry Hill. Everybody wonder what the hell is going on. But it's like we held 2% against the Assassins. That's outstanding. So, like I said, all I want to do, although who knows at the end of this one, <laughs> as long as we come back, all I know is I just want to leave it all on the field. And so when I'm done with this, whenever it is, I can look back and just say, like, I really did. I did everything I absolutely could here. And then I can, I can feel satisfied.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks for sharing your thoughts, even though you were a little timid and it was hard to get them out of you today. It was it was nice to...
1: Hey, you know, you did a good job of coaching stuff. it out of me. I know I was anxious and quiet at first, but I really appreciate you getting it out of me there.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks very much.
2: The Business of Betting podcast is presented by Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Since 2012, Optimove has served iGaming operators from startups to industry leaders. Today, four out of the top five U.S. operators personalize player experiences with Optimove. iGaming operators know their growth journey begins and continues with Optimove, the number one CRM marketing solution for the iGaming industry. Visit Optimove at ICE and mention you listened to this episode to receive an Amazon gift card.